What is up, divers? Welcome in to the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow me on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com, which is always popping during the offseason. With that being said, let's get to the content. What's up, divers? Welcome in to Deep Dive Fantasy Football. I gotta tell you right now, I am recording at a time I usually never record, and it's because I'm feeling takes. I'm feeling takes right now. The Stafford trade went down last night, so this is the morning of that I'm recording this part of the segment, or this part of the podcast at least. You guys are going crazy right now on Twitter. Stafford, we need to talk about this because... Everyone, it seems 80% of people think that that was a bad trade for the Rams. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? That was a great trade for the Rams. All right, they gave up two firsts, Jared Goff, and a third round pick for Matt Stafford. Everyone's saying that's a huge overpay. That is not an overpay because let's think about it, right? Break it down. Those are two firsts that are going to be in the late 20s or mid 20s, high 20s at worst for the Rams and what they gave up, right? The Lions are not going to be getting any picks inside the top 10, any picks in the teens. At best, they're going to get between 20 and 22. The Rams have had a winning record the last four years, ever since they got McVay, I think it was the last four years. They have made the playoffs all of those years except one where they went nine and seven, which now in this current structure of seven playoff teams, they would make the playoffs. And They did all of that with Jared Goff. Why have they lost games? Can we think about that? Why have they lost games? Why did they lose the Super Bowl? Because their offense couldn't put up more than one touchdown or, I mean, that was an atrocious game. Nobody liked that Super Bowl. The Patriots won and that was like the lowest scoring Super Bowl we'd seen in the past, what, like 10 years? It was disgusting. If they had Stafford, they would have won that game. If they had Stafford in the playoffs this year, versus the Packers, they would have had a shot at winning that game. What has been the problem? The problem, the weak link for the Rams has been the quarterback. It has been Jared Goff. You guys have heard me talk so much about how Jared Goff is such an underperforming quarterback given his situation, given his coaching staff, given everything that he has had to work with and what he's put out on the field. He has been horrible. And This is a huge upgrade. Now let's talk about the actual picks, right? What they actually gave up. Everyone's looking at it as, all right, they gave up two firsts. They gave up a starting quarterback in Jared Goff, and they gave up a third. That is way too much for Stafford, who gets hurt and is like 33, whatever, whatever. But if you think about it, Jared Goff's contract was super expensive, and there was no way they were getting out of that without trading him. They were going to have to stay with Jared Goff, keep him on the roster, or, you know, if they cut him, there'd be so much dead cap, so there would be no reason to cut him. Might as well just keep him on the roster. So he would be on the roster as either a starter or a super overpaid backup if they went with Wolford or someone else and killing their cap situation. Now they got the Lions to eat that. That alone is worth a first round pick. You guys remember when Brock Osweiler garnered a pick from the team that was trading him away 
because of his contract. He got paid a whole bunch of money, and then they traded Brock Osweiler away and a pick to a team and got pretty much nothing in return. Just to get the, they gave up a pick just to get the team to eat Osweiler's contract. At least, at least a late first rounder is worth that considering Goff's contract and the situation that that was putting the Rams in. So if you take those, both of those things out, right? Those things are canceling Goff and a late, one of the two late firsts that they gave up. You're basically paying a late first rounder and a third for Matthew Stafford, Sean McVay, his mind, and that offense with Matthew Stafford is going to be insane. Buckle up. I am telling you. Guys, I will throw it out right now. I told you I got some takes. I will throw it out right now. Not next year. Maybe next year. But within the next two years, right? And I don't think next year, just because I think Brady's probably the only quarterback that can go to a new team in a new situation with all new players and make it to the Super Bowl in the first year, especially like with the COVID season being crazy. That's just insane that the Bucks have got to this point so far. But Matt Stafford, I don't think we'll be able to do it in year one. But within the next two years, the Rams are going to be in the Super Bowl. I'm calling it. Because, whoo, they got players. And, whoo, they got coaching. And, whoo, now they got a quarterback. Now they got a quarterback. And on the fantasy side of it, Stafford is about to be a great fantasy quarterback by himself. The like abundant scoring opportunities that are about to follow from the result of this trade for the Rams offense is going to be amazing for Cam Akers, amazing for Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Gerald Everett's leaving, so this could also be amazing for Tyler Higbee. There are so many people that are going to benefit from this. I don't see how anyone is hurt by this move for the Rams in fantasy. And now this just reinforces the fact for the Lions that I have been saying Kenny Galladay is not going to resign. Marvin Jones, probably not going to re-sign because, remember, I was saying once Stafford leaves, right? Once Stafford leaves, those receivers are not going to want to stay in Detroit. And now it's official. He is gone. Those guys are going to leave. And now, remember that Hawkinson take? Hawkinson is going to be the offense. Hawkinson and Swift. So they're going to be extreme by lows from this situation. And Woods, Cup, if you guys could get them and people don't really realize how much better they're going to be, I'm going to have to move them up my my rankings here in Dynasty now because of Stafford being added. Last thing I wanted to say on this Stafford talk is his average over the last three seasons. All right, and remember, Stafford's been banged up. Kenny Galladay's been banged up. So you're looking at, you know, inconsistent seasons in all of these three seasons. And this were his, th- these were his averages. Matt Stafford, 65% completion rate. That's awesome, especially considering the situation. 4.8% touchdown rate. That's like just above league average. And 7.5 yards per attempt. I am telling you right now, all three of those metrics, all three of those metrics will increase next year. This is where I make my money. This is where I am in my pocket, as some people like to say. When it comes to projecting increases or decreases in advanced metrics, that is what I love doing in the offseason. That is what I do. That is where the deep dive name was coined by for me. Like that's where 
I decided to call myself and call the podcast Deep Dive Fantasy Football. And the people that have been with me since last offseason know that I really go deep in all of these metrics. What are all the factors that are going to cause increases or decreases in these metrics? And how is that going to affect the projection? Because this is how I build my projections. When I build my projections, I start with the quarterback. You always start with the quarterback. You start with the quarterback, pump out his yards, pump out his touchdowns, pump out his you know, uh, completions, attempts, everything. You start with the quarterback projection and you build the rest of the projections from there. And looking at the situation now in LA for Stafford, I already can tell you with the weapons, with Sean McVay's coaching, with all of these things that are going to play factors, with better receivers, everything, he will be more efficient in all of these metrics. So Stafford will have a much better fantasy outlook going forward. And because he is way better than Goff, it's going to roll out all the way down for all the receivers, scoring opportunities, better, more accurate balls. Like, this is just going to be an amazing situation. And the Rams made a great move. I applaud them. With that said, I also, before we get into the meat of this podcast, I also took a whole bunch of would-you-rather questions from guys on Twitter, so we're going to go through these pretty rapid-fire. I like them. I think I'm going to start doing this more often in the off-season. So the first question I have here, the uh, super, super long username, but it starts with dumb baseball and other stuff. So his question is, would you rather finish in third with an older but not ancient roster, so this is in Dynasty, or finish in third from last? with a young, but not insanely young, roster in a vibrant dynasty league. So for me, I would rather finish third from last because if we're finishing third and you know we have an older roster, that means we probably only got one year, maybe two years to try and you know make up the difference from third place to first place and win before it's too late. If we have a young, even if it's not insanely young roster, if we have a young roster and we're finishing third from last, we're going to have high picks, which we love. And I'm going to trade away any older guys that I have to get more picks and turn the young roster into an insanely young roster and be a, you know, first, second place team in two years, in maybe three years, depending on the state of the other teams in the league and whatnot, and how long it's going to take to rebuild. But usually it doesn't take too long to rebuild, probably two to three years. So I would rather finish third from last with a younger roster and have more ground to make up because I trust myself to make up a lot of ground in terms of standings with a team more than uh, like trying to make up one or two spots in one year or maybe two years because anything can happen in fantasy. I want the longer period of time, the longer window, and the, the better opportunity to win than a shorter window like a one to two year window with an older roster because if I build a great team from ground up that's young and I turn them into insanely young team I have a five-year window to win so you know one bad game one unlucky matchup in fantasy is not going to screw me over so that's why I would rather that super flex advice have your favorite would you rather have your favorite NFL team win the Super Bowl or would you win rather win the championship in your highest paying money league that's an easy question. I would much rather the Buccaneers win the Super Bowl. Superflex wide receiver to own in Dynasty, Brandon Ayuk or Debo Samuel? That's asked by DC Dom Kutri. Um, I would rather have Brandon Ayuk. He has much more upside in my mind. Kyle Shanahan 
put more capital, draft capital, into Brandon Ayuk as well. Debo Samuel has been dealing with some injuries. He is more of a... Actually, they're both pretty similar, honestly, if you think about the receivers and, and how they're going to be used. But Ayuk is somebody with much more potential on a per-catch, per per-target basis. I think he'll probably have more touchdowns, probably have more yardage. He might have less receptions. Debo might end up getting more targets and, and more looks that turn into, you know, chain-moving first downs and, and stuff like that. But Brandon Ayuk, I think, definitely has a higher ceiling. He's also younger and has more draft capital invested, so I'm going to go Brandon Ayuk. Paris Campbell, this is Mr. Anderson, Matrix Fantasy, my guy. Paris Campbell or Michael Pittman or T.Y. Hilton in 2021. I'm going with Pittman. Pittman is the younger guy. Hilton I'm scared away from because he is getting dangerously close to that 32 drop-off age. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go check out the Twitter. I tweeted out, you can ask me to send it to you. I tweeted out the wide receiver drop-off chart that I built with a bunch of receivers that had huge drop-offs and you know where that usually happens and it's usually about age 32 that was the average and like 80 percent of the people had their drop-off at that age of the sample that I took and it's a huge huge drop-off like we're talking about an average of 100 fantasy point drop-off from the first season to the next so I think that that could definitely happen in T.Y. Hilton Paris Campbell can never stay healthy and even if he does Michael Pittman is the person that they have higher capital and newer capital invested into. So I'll take Michael Pittman, even though I wasn't a huge fan of him coming out of college. Actually similar to Ayuk, so it seems like you guys have been paying attention because you're asking me about the guys you know I didn't like and have turned out to be okay. Pittman, well, Ayuk is definitely more than okay. Pittman, we don't really know yet. I could still be right on not being impressed by him, but we'll see. I would rather have Pittman out of those three. James Robinson or Miles Sanders. That's asked by the Fantasy Buffalo. I'm going to go and split this by Dynasty and Redraft. Dynasty, I'm taking Miles Sanders. The receiving ability, I think he's a better running back. And once again, draft capital matters. James Robinson, I'll take in Redraft because I don't think the Jags replace him with another running back. I think this offense is going to be much better with either Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. They're going to have more scoring opportunities. He's going to be more efficient in the run game as the pass game will actually pose a threat now. And he won't... receive full stacked boxes as often as he did last year and they might be able to actually play some games with a lead allowing them to run the ball more and not have James Robinson get game scripted out so with all of those things uh, considered I would go with James Robinson redraft Miles Sanders dynasty because remember James Robinson he's on a rookie contract and whatnot but he is an undrafted free agent so the contract he signed was actually only three years he only has two years left so after his two years, he's probably getting replaced. They're probably not going to re-sign him. And I don't know if he will get a starting job anywhere else. Would you rather have, Ken Brown asks, would you rather have dynasties win multiple Super Bowls or lots of different teams win Super Bowls? I would rather have lots of different teams win Super Bowls. And I think everyone agrees with that internally, even if they don't realize it. Why? Because every time a dynasty pops up, everyone roots against it. You guys remember the Warriors? Take a little NBA route right here. Before the Warriors started that dynasty, everyone loved Curry. Everyone loved Klay Thompson. Everyone loved Draymond Green. Everyone was rooting for the Warriors to pull it out. Then they did. Then, next year, all right, we still like them. They're still new. They're still young. They're still hip. Everyone liked them. After they won two, uh-oh. Oh, we hate the Warriors. The Warriors are dominating. It's not fair. Everyone's rooting against the Warriors, right? Same thing with the Patriots. Patriots started building that dynasty. 
everyone started rooting against him. Everyone hates Brady, except for Bucks fans and Patriots fans, it seems like. Everyone hates Brady because he was building and a huge part of that dynasty, and he just kept winning, winning, winning. Everyone likes to see underdogs win. Everyone likes to see new teams. People in sports love the rise and the fall, right? That's what we live for. We love the rise. We love the fall. We don't like the rise and then boom, build an empire or a dynasty and stay at the top of the hill. Nobody likes to see that. So I would rather see multiple different teams win than dynasties win. And I'm telling you right now, everyone loves Mahomes. But if Mahomes beats my Bucks in this Super Bowl next season, everyone, they're, they're going to become that next dynasty that people root against. Watch. Just watch. You, you think that Mahomes and his personality and everyone rooting for Andy Reid and they're a fun team and everything is going to be immune to that? I guarantee you it won't be. Nobody will be rooting for them if they win this next Super Bowl, except for Chiefs fans. So, and maybe like fans of Mahomes and, you know, like the player fans. But when it comes to just overall general NFL fans, if the Chiefs win back-to-back, which has not been done since the Patriots did it early in Tom Brady's career, I believe, they will become the next hated dynasty. So I'm going to go with uh, definitely different teams. Bloody Sunday asks, Terry McLaurin or T. Higgins? I don't know if this is Dynasty or Redraft. Either way, I'll take Terry McLaurin. Why? You guys know I love T. Higgins. I also love Terry McLaurin, so it's a tough question in the first place, but I like Terry McLaurin because he is the better route runner, and route running, being good at that, that is probably the most stable, the most consistent, the most projectable thing for an NFL wide receiver to be good in the league and to produce for fantasy. If you are a good route runner, you are guaranteed to put up numbers, so I'm taking Terry McLaurin. And if they find a way to get a quarterback, Washington, obviously, is what I'm talking about. I'm telling you right now, like, Terry McLaurin is going to be a beast. We're talking top eight wide receiver status because he's going to get mad volume in an offense that has more scoring opportunities and can stay on the field more and pass the ball more because of it. Yeah, yeah, I'll take Terry McLaurin. Akers or Dobbins, that's asked by Tyler O. Man, I I feel like I sound kind of congested if I do. Sorry about that, guys. But uh, Akers or Dobbins, I'm definitely, you guys know where I'm going already. The the listeners, the regular listeners, you guys know where I'm going. I'm going Akers. He will, especially now with Stafford. Oh, man, I didn't even think about that. This, this question was asked right before the Stafford trade. Definitely with Stafford, I'm going Akers now because obviously that offense is going to be just as good, if not better, than the Ravens offense. It's going to rival them for sure. It's going to be one of the best offenses in the league. And Akers has a better chance at receiving work than Dobbins does. And he is also going to get a lot more carries, a lot more consistent carries, and more red zone touches than Dobbins. So I'm going with Akers for sure. Fearless Frank, actually uh, the guy that we had, had him on, and I, I still really love that discussion we had about Jerry Judy. He asked me two questions here. First one, would you rather win a Super Bowl or make the Hall of Fame? This is a, this is a tough one. You know, it, it's... Whew. So if I'm an NFL player, I think, man, that's tough. Because if you make the Hall of Fame, right, obviously you're an established player with an established career. But the way that this question is worded, it's basically you're getting one or the other. So I don't know how I would feel about making the Hall of Fame and not having a Super Bowl. That would really eat at me. That would really, really eat at me. Look, if I'm an NFL player already, I feel successful with myself. I feel like I made it. The thing I want more is the Super Bowl ring. So I would rather win a Super Bowl because if I made the Hall of Fame without a Super Bowl ring, I would feel like unfulfilled. 
very unfulfilled because I never accomplished the the ultimate goal of the sport. So I would rather not make the Hall of Fame, be a contributor and a good player on a team, and win a Super Bowl ring. And then you also asked, would you rather Brandon Ayuk or T. Higgins? I'm going to go with Higgins here just because I think he has much safer target volume. So I'm going to go with T. Higgins. And with that said, finally, finally, guys, it starts. It begins. We are going to start the incoming rookie series. I did this last year. It was among my most listened to episodes last year. So I know this is something that you guys find interesting, something that you guys like. We will be going over all the prospects that are coming into this NFL draft, all the rookies. It's perfect for my dynasty guys that do rookie drafts like very early, like starting from now. It's perfect for dynasty guys that want to get a jump on the rookie guys and maybe trade for some picks. And it's just perfect in general for getting to know this class that's about to come in. We had a great class just come in with all the receivers and running backs. This is going to be a great class with some nice running backs, not nearly as deep, a great receiver class, possibly just as deep as the one that we just saw. A very good tight end class, which we will start with today. And then obviously some great quarterbacks. So I'm excited to get it going right after this. What's up, divers? Do you enjoy a good workout like me? Do you grind in the gym trying to get built? If so, then you probably know working out is only half the battle with the other half being nutrition. Well, luckily, you can go to BuiltBar.com and get protein bars, 100% daily vitamin packs that mix into your water. I use that all the time. Tastes great. You can get caffeine and protein mixed into one as a pre-workout gel pack. And all of these things help you turn your hard work in the gym into visible results. I use these products myself, and they are great. And I also have a promo code that helps both of us save 10% off with Deep Dive. That's Deep Dive to save 10% off at BuiltBar.com and on any of their products. And my favorite energy protein pack flavor, by the way, if you want to go that route, is the peanut butter honey. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, take a second to pause the podcast right here. That's right. Pause it right here and drop me a rating or review. And if you're feeling super generous, you can choose to support the podcast monthly through the link on the episode page or found in the website podcast section. With that being said, as you know, let's get back to the content. All right, guys, welcome back in. We are going to talk about the tight ends, the rookie tight ends incoming in the 2021 draft class. But before getting into the prospects, I definitely want to credit some sources that helped me get basically a bigger picture, a better understanding of the things alongside the things I saw myself from the prospects. Because when I'm watching there's obviously things that I can miss. Anybody can miss anything. It's hard to always catch everything. So I want to give you guys the best analysis, the best information possible. So I'm taking what I see, what I learn, and also what many other people see and many other people learn from, you know, so much reading of articles that I do and all of this other research outside of just watching the players themselves because I want to get as many perspectives as I can. The more perspectives you get, the more research you do, the higher likelihood you hear or learn something that you might have missed. So with my ultimate goal being to provide you guys with the best information possible, I definitely take some information from other sources and I learn things from other sources and regurgitate in my own words some things that I've learned my uh, from other people along from things that I've learned myself so I got to give a shout out to these places check them out they have great information the draft network sports reference big blue view that was for a specifically one prospect that we're going to talk about pff pro football network 
those are the sources that I've been doing a lot of reading of and a lot of uh, research inside of. So thank you to those guys. Check out those guys. I will be reiterating, reinforcing, and bouncing some off ideas off of things that I've learned from there along from what I've seen. So with that said, I also want to clarify, I'm going to be giving an age for these prospects. The age that I give is not what how old they are now, because if I just tell you how old they are now, that could be anything that they could be, you know, if I say 20, they could be 21 tomorrow. After you listen to this, they could be just have turned 20. There's such a wide outcome, wide range of possible like age outcomes if I just tell you how old they are now. So instead, I'm going to tell you how old they are when the NFL season starts. That's going to be what matters. And if they're close to turning the age right after the season starts, then I'll tell you that too. So the age, remember, the age is how old they will be September 9th, the start of the NFL season. With that said, we can get started. I have been waiting for this. And obviously, obviously, my tight end one, right? The 2020 incoming rookie tight ends, tight end one is Kyle Pitts, 6'6", 239 pounds from Florida, and he will be 20. 20. Listen to that pretty number right there. He will be 20 years old when the NFL season starts, and he will have a couple months into the NFL season before he turns 21. His best season so far in college that he put together was 43 receptions. And guys, by the way, stats are going to seem underwhelming for the tight end position, so just compare it to the other numbers from the other tight ends because the tight end position in college is not utilized nearly as much as it is in the NFL. So 43 receptions, also they have much shorter seasons. 43 receptions for Kyle Pitts, 770 yards, 12 touchdowns, all in eight games. So almost 100 yards per game, just over five receptions a game, and one and a half touchdowns per game. And that season was put together this past year, 2020, 2021 season. NFL comparison for me, this was really tough. I would say he's probably like a skinnier Mike Evans with safer hands. Mike Evans has some bad drops here and there. That's not something you're going to get with Kyle Pitts. I love his hands. Super, super safe. We're going to talk about that. So we got props and knocks. So instead of saying pros and cons, I like to say props and knocks. What are things that prop them up as a prospect, make them look good? And what are things that knock them down as a prospect, make them look bad? So we're going to go through props first. Body contortion. This man is, man, when you watch him, he is so elegant. He knows how to move to the ball and adjust to the ball. So that's two already. Body contortion and adjustment to the ball. He mixes these things together and his contested skills just in general to make amazing catches that he has no business making, honestly, and he does a fantastic job doing it. He makes the job very easy for the quarterback. They just throw it up in his area, and he will find a way to adjust to that ball and either catch it or stop it from getting intercepted because he will get the better position over the corner. And that's also something that is a great plus, a great prop for Kyle Pitts. He boxes out cornerbacks very, very well. This is something I love to see. And it's definitely something that's coachable that you can teach to to prospects that are coming in that don't have this trait. But for Kyle Pitts to already, at 20 years old in college, know how to properly use his body, box out like in basketball. That's why I like to call it a box out. I I was a basketball player in high school, which we'll actually talk about because it relates to a prospect later on. Um, But to be able to 
properly box out a cornerback. It takes a lot of practice. It takes just overall football IQ. Kyle Pitts has that stuff in spades. So to watch him use his body, put his butt, put his back, his far shoulder from where the ball is going into the prospect and be able to reach out all the way and extend for the ball is awesome. He is essentially a big wide receiver, but because he lines up at tight end, he gets easier matchups. He's 6'6", 239. If you're picturing that combination in your head, it's not a super big dude. So it's he's got a receiver body, and he's got very good athleticism, very natural hands. He's plucky. That's a word I like to use because you could stick your hands out and just pluck the ball out of the air like you just grab it. It's not you're catching it with your forearms and bringing it in. You're catching it with, you know, what they call body catches where it's coming into your chest and you're like closing your arms in on it. I don't know why I'm actually doing it in real time as I'm explaining it like you guys can see me, but you know what I'm saying? He just plucks the ball out of the air. It's it's awesome. Just watch some highlights. You'll see it right away. He has breakaway speed. That's very, very cool trait for a tight end because you don't see it often, right? Plenty of receivers have breakaway speed, but for a tight end who catches a slant over the middle on a linebacker, with a super easy matchup for a guy like Kyle Pitts to be able to take it the distance, to just turn that upfield right away and take it the distance, that's going to lead to a lot of fantasy points. So for breakaway speed, that's awesome too. He's absolute matchup nightmare, 6'6", 6'6". That's, nobody can cover that. There's no safety, there's no uh, corner, I almost had receiver, there's no linebacker that is going to match up with 6'6", with his athleticism consistently, if Kyle Pitts just, honestly, I don't see how he's a bust. I I do not see how he can be a bust prospect. He's probably going to be an offensive X factor like Darren Waller is for the Raiders. That's actually what a lot of people like to compare him to. I'm not going to just limit myself in my NFL comparisons to tight ends because let's be honest, there's not that many great tight ends in the league. And I have not been somebody who's been watching the NFL for 40 years. So I don't have a good ground to stand on when comparing to historical tight ends so I'm not going to do that either and go outside of my own range I'm going to stay with things that I can actually compare properly so that's why I also look at receivers and said the skinnier Mike Evans with better hands example earlier and lastly aside from you know everything that we just talked about with Kyle Pitts let's talk about some numbers provided by PFF 4.91 yards per route run versus man That is insane. 4.91, almost five yards per route run versus man. That is third highest in college football, and he's a tight end. Third highest among all positions. 96.2 PFF grade. That is insane. The PFF grades are out of 100. So to pull in a 96.2, remember he will be 20 years old when he starts his first NFL season. That is insane for Dynasty. What about some knocks, though? No prospect is perfect. He does definitely have some knocks. Not too many, though. Slightly slim frame. Like I said, 6'6", but only 239. So that's definitely something that he can fix. Hopefully, he doesn't lose too much athleticism when he backs on some more weight, hopefully in the form of just muscle. But that's definitely a knock. And then also, he needs to improve as a blocker, and he needs to improve his release versus physical corners, but that's also something very coachable that you can easily get better at, especially for somebody so young. So overall, Kyle Pitts is by far and away the number one tight end in this class in my mind. There may be one prospect who's a little bit safer, more bust-proof than him, but nobody touches his upside. Nobody 
touches his savviness to win a football while it's in the air. He is by far the best at that in this class. And if he was a wide receiver, I haven't done the wide receivers personally, but like I haven't dove into them yet. Obviously, you haven't heard a podcast on any of the receivers yet, so you know this. But I would say he's probably going to come out just watching him alone. Probably going to come out if I graded him as a receiver as like wide receiver three in this super stacked class or wide receiver four in this super stacked class. So when you're getting somebody like that at the tight end position who hopefully is utilized that way, he can also be put on the outside and stuff, but hopefully is utilized that way. I believe it's called an uh, an F tight end, a move F tight end. I think that's what the position is called. And, you know, is able to get linebackers often in the NFL. He's going to be a monster. I really think he can be the focal point of an offense very quickly. And I think he'll be one of the tight ends that is, you know, we very, very rarely see this, but I think he'll be one of the tight ends that actually produces good numbers his rookie season. Because, he, like I said, he's like a receiver, and we see receivers that are really good producing their rookie seasons. With that said, we got to move to tight end two. Tight end two for me, it's pretty tough. Tight end two and three, I, I have no issue with people that want to swap them. But I have Brevin Jordan from Miami. He will be 21 at the start of the season. He is 6'3", 245. So he's a little heavier, a little bigger, more built than um, Kyle Pitts is. But he's also shorter. So that adds to his scariness, his size. He's got a very good build. That's definitely a prop for him. 38 receptions. This is his best season. 38 receptions, 576 yards, seven touchdowns in eight games. That was also this year, 2020. My NFL comparison for him, and I'm surprised I didn't read this in any of the articles that I also did research on for Brevin Jordan. I, I feel like he's very much like a Johnny Smith. He looks like a Johnny Smith. He runs like Johnny Smith. He has similar traits to Johnny Smith. What are these traits? Well, he's got Great strength, great toughness, and he excels in yards after contact. Guys, think about Jonu Smith. This is what you're getting with Brevin Jordan. And Jonu Smith, the reason he's been held back in the league so far for fantasy purposes is lack of target volume. It's nothing against him. has nothing to do with him, really. More just on the offense and having a guy like Derrick Henry in your backfield. So, And a guy like A.J. Brown on the outside. So with that said... Johnny Smith is going to be somebody who's going to be great in a new situation if he goes somewhere else and gets more targets. I think that's kind of what Brevin Jordan can be, and he's going to be had at a much lesser price than Kyle Pitts. Also, speaking of price, that's something I want to touch on too. Kyle Pitts, if you're in a tight end premium league, if you're in a two tight end league, Kyle Pitts is definitely somebody worth the 103 after, and this isn't super flex. So if you're in a non-super flex dynasty league and it's like tight end premium or something, Kyle Pitts might be the 101. But if you're in a super flex tight end premium or two tight end or whatever, something that increases the value of tight end, I would take Kyle Pitts over Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, all the running backs coming in probably. And I'd probably take him over all the receivers too because we know how hard it is to find a tight end. And a tight end is a game changer, especially in leagues where they are more valuable. So that's how I value Kyle Pitts, but he will be expensive. Brevin Jordan, on the other hand, is not going to be very expensive. You could probably get him at the back end of second round. Unless he goes to like a dream scenario in the NFL draft, then, you know, it's probably not going to be a guy that has much hype. So I like Brevin Jordan a lot, especially for that reason, because you'll be able to get him at a decent price. He also, aside from being strong, tough, excelling in yards after contact, has decent juke skills, and he's a a good blocker. So his hands are about average, nothing like concerning there, like too concerning, nothing 
outstanding either, so that's why I didn't really comment on his receiving ability or in terms of his hands. Then what about Knox? He has some body catches, but it's not too much. His hands just are not as natural as Kyle Pitts. His technique lacks in route running. Definitely needs to, you know, sharpen the blade when it comes to his route running skills. And his ball skills aren't wide receiver level, but I wouldn't say any tight ends in the league have in the NFL right now have wide receiver ball skills except for Kelsey Waller and that's probably and Kittle that's probably it just those three and it's not even like insane stuff like Kelsey when I was actually diving into his numbers for my dynasty rankings for tight ends was much worse than I thought he was when it comes to receiving ability his true catch rate was not high at all his contested catch rate was like 20 percent which is atrocious so I was actually surprised in, in that aspect. So it's not really a knock, but it's just comparing him to Kyle Pitts, having a guy like that in this draft class is definitely going to make things difficult. Then my tight end three, and by the way, landing spot after the NFL draft is definitely going to decide how I order Brevin Jordan and my tight end three. Whoever lands in the better spot is probably who I'll give the nod to just because they're so close for me. But Kyle Pitts, I don't care where he goes. He is by far the bona fide tight end one in this class. He will find his way on the field no matter what situation he's in. And even if it's a horrible situation and a horrible offense, he'll still be able to put up numbers. Tight end three is Pat Fryermuth. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that correctly. 6'5", 250, another big boy. He will be 22. So as you can see, the age has already been going up from 20 to Kyle Pitts to 21 to Brevin Jordan to 22 to Pat Fryermuth. His best season was 2019. So not this past season that ended, but the year before. 43 receptions, 507 yards, 7 touchdowns in 13 games. So definitely the utilization for Pat Fryermuth was not nearly as much as it was for Brevin Jordan and Kyle Pitts, who both put up better numbers in 5 less games. So that's something to consider. I think I have a really good NFL comparison to Pat Fryermuth, and if it's not somebody that you've watched, I think me giving this example, this comparison, will help you picture what type of guy this is and how he plays. Mike Gesicki. Mike Gesicki is my comparison. Some people like to say Gronk. People like say Fryermuth is baby Gronk. I can see that too, but I don't want to compare him to an all-time great. I'm going to compare him to somebody who's similar that just is not as good, Mike Gesicki. What are his props? He's got size, just like Gesicki. He's got strength. He's got tackle-breaking ability. He's got good hands. He lays, oh, maybe that's another one. Gesicki has really good hands. He might have receiver ball skills. But continuing, he has good hands, he lays a boom on defenders, boxes out defenders well, like Pitts does, and utilizes his head and eyes to run routes and to deceive corners. This is something that I would not have noticed on myself. Definitely got to give a shout out on a nice piece of info from Ian Cummings from, I believe, PFN. Utilizes head and eyes to run routes. That's awesome. That's an awesome piece of information right there because that shows very high football IQ. That shows studying in the film room. That shows traits that are going to translate to you being a very good NFL player. Then what about some knocks? Underwhelming athleticism. This is something that jumps off the tape for me. He lacks speed. He lacks vertical ability. When I say vertical ability, I'm talking long speed, like straight straight, straight line speed. He's lacking acceleration, burst. He's lacking hops. That's what I mean by vertical ability, and then also just speed in general. He's not a great blocker despite his size. Definitely something that can be worked on, though. Most tight ends coming out are not great blockers. And he has absolutely, like, absolutely no ability to make a defender miss, just like Gasicki. Like, Gasicki ain't jump-cutting anybody. 
He's not making anyone miss at all. And also, I don't know if I said that for Brevin Jordan, but he has some decent juke skills, not anything crazy. So that's what I got on Pat, Fr Pat Fryermuth. He's pretty good prospect. He's going to be safe. And if you look at Gasicki, Gasicki, if he gets volume, is going to be pretty good. But I'm not a big Gasicki guy because of the lack of separation. Pat, Fr Pat Fryermuth, I think, though, will have some better separation than Gasicki. He's a better route runner or will be a better route runner than Gasicki is. So he's definitely somebody worth keeping an eye on. If he lands in a nice spot where he can get a lot of target volume, he could be that safe chain mover that gets a lot of targets, and he could actually end up being really good for fantasy. So definitely keep an eye out for Pat Fryermuth. This is a really good tight end class because in most classes without a Kyle Pitts, who's just absolutely insane, without a Kyle Pitts, most tight end classes would have Brevin Jordan or a Pat Fryermuth as the number one tight end. And a lot of people viewed these guys as that coming into this season. So something to keep in mind, we got a good tight end class here. So if you need a tight end, it's a good year to need one. Hunter Long and Trey McKitty are my tight ends four and five. I actually have Trey McKitty at four, so we're going to talk about him first. I have Hunter Long in my notes as, as higher. And the more and more I think about it, I'm going to have to switch it to Trey McKitty. And I actually have something very interesting about Trey McKitty. This is what I was talking about earlier when I talked about the Stafford stuff and I said that you know I used to play high school basketball and oh that wasn't the Stafford part that was earlier when we first started talking about Kyle Pitts I believe when I was talking about boxing out defenders and how you know I have experience as a basketball player and what that had to relate to to another guy it's Trey McKitty because believe it or not Trey McKitty was on my high school basketball team with me we actually played basketball back in the day together and then he transferred. We played together at Wesley Chapel High School. Then he transferred to IMG Academy for football as a tight end. Then he went to FSU. Then he transferred to Georgia. And he just finished his last year in Georgia. Trey McKitty is 6'4", 247. He will be 22. He's right in line with me in age and same class as me. So he will be 22 starting in the NFL. His best season to date. And this is important listen to this his best season to date 26 receptions 256 yards two touchdowns only in 10 games so you guys might be thinking ah oh, brandon you're just shouting out your boy you're just shout shouting out somebody that you know and an old friend from high school that you played sports with that's not the case here at all i'm very good at being objective not being subjective and letting my own personal biases come into play trey mckitty is somebody that when he was given the opportunity in college, he was very good. And actually, if you look at the senior, oh, what is it called? I always forget. Senior day, where they do, um, you know, where they do all the, the stuff for the senior bowl. That's what it's called. In the senior bowl, Trey McKitty in practices all week was looking great. He was pulling off sick catches. I believe I tweeted one or two of them. He has great hands, great athleticism. He holds immense potential he is great after the catch, has good 50-50 contested abilities. He separates well in man coverage. He's a decent blocker. He has so many things going for him. Really, the lack of usage in the, in college is just going to make him a sleeper, both for NFL teams in general. I think he's going to be had probably rounds between rounds three and five is probably where he will get picked. And I think he will definitely be worth that value for the team that picks him. And if he goes somewhere where there's not an established, really good tight end, watch out because Trey McKitty might be somebody. He's definitely someone I'm trying to sneak in at the end of all my rookie drafts because I love having an advantage at tight end. And 
if I can get somebody like a Trey McKitty in the end of round three, middle of round three in rookie drafts, that's definitely going to be worth it. I'm telling you, he has huge upside, huge upside. And does he have a really low floor? Yeah, he does. I'm not going to shy away from that. But in fantasy, I would much rather somebody with the upside that he holds. Because who's my NFL comparison for him? Somebody that we know has upside. He is a less refined, to me, a less refined O.J. Howard. And a slightly less athletic, but O.J. Howard is just, like, ridiculous. So Trey McKitty is very athletic. Don't get it wrong. You could just, you know, look up Trey McKitty and you'll see that he's very athletic. What are some knocks, though? Haven't talked about that yet. The first knock is obviously that he did not have great production in college. He has some body catches that he needs to clean up, but he shows insane ball skills. So that's definitely something to look forward to. And he needs to refine his route running skills a little, but he's already pretty decent there. So I like Trey McKitty a lot. He's my tight end four, but he has just as much upside as Brevin Jordan, just as much upside as Pat Fryermuth, and he is going to be somebody nobody even knows about. Like even the super, super like fanatic fantasy fans, I would say maybe 50% of them won't even know who Trey McKitty is. So, and I'm not talking about right now. I would say way more than that right now, probably like 90%. But like during rookie drafts, when people see the name Trey McKitty, I would say probably 50% of super invested fantasy fans won't even know who he is. He's going to be an immense value. Keep an eye on him. All right. And then lastly, Hunter Long, tight end five, six, five, 254, Boston College. I actually couldn't find his age. I searched like so many places. I don't know why. Maybe I was just like, I don't know, unlucky. Maybe you'll find it, but I could not find his age. His best season to date, 57 receptions, 685 yards, five touchdowns in 11 games. That was this year, 2020. And I have a really good comparison for him too. And it's Cameron Bray. I honestly, I love my my comparisons for Brevin Jordan, Pat Fryermuth, and Hunter Long. I think all of them are super, super good, super accurate. I love Cameron Bray as the comparison for Hunter Long. He's a good blocker. He's a safe contributor. He finds soft spots in zone. He adjusts to the ball well. He utilizes the box out effectively. But then he's heavily reliant on landing spot for a shot at fantasy relevance. He's not a great athlete. He won't make people miss. He rounds his routes, and he lacks upside. Very much all of those things similar to Cameron Brait. And we've seen Cameron Cameron Brait produce in fantasy. So Hunter Long can definitely be somebody who does that as well. All five of these guys, Trey McKitty being someone with probably the highest risk reward, but it's going to be well worth it, trust me, in late rounds of rookie drafts or in like dynasty startups, you could probably get him with your last pick. And then the better floor of a Hunter Long, Pat Fryermuth, and then the insane floor and ceiling for Kyle Pitts, and then the insane ceiling, not nearly as good as Pitts, so I can't say insane, I guess, but very good ceiling for Brevin Jordan. We've got a, a really nice crop of tight ends here. I really love the rookie tight ends coming in. So that's the podcast, guys. Thank you for tuning in. We got some good talk in about Stafford. A lot of interesting would-you-rather questions that we hit really quickly. And then we got to talk about this tight end class. The next podcast episode is probably going to be the quarterback class because I want to leave the meat of everything, like all the running backs, all the receivers, which is obviously going to take, wide receiver is going to take the most time, especially because of how deep the class is. But I wanted to leave that stuff for last so we can really just hammer it out and focus on it and have quarterback and tight end, which is going to be much quicker out the way. So I'll probably have two 
episodes on quarterbacks. I'm going to try and do a deep dive between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields because I think there's a lot of interesting points that could be talked about between the two of them. So I'll probably have an episode just on the two of them and then I'll take questions and stuff there to spice up the episode as well. And I'm going to have somebody on that I really, really respect and I, I think has a lot to offer in the discussion of Fields versus Lawrence. So we're going to do that and then I'll probably have one more episode talking about all the rest of the quarterbacks and what potential they hold for fantasy. But going back to these tight ends, they all have a great shot at being fantasy relevant. Kyle Pitts is well worth the 103 in Superflex leagues and in tight end premium, two tight end, non-Superflex leagues. If you take him 101, I don't think it's that bad of an idea. Just be patient because he is a tight end. So if he doesn't produce, I think he can, like we talked about. But if he doesn't produce right away, just trust me, it will come. It will happen. He's very talented. Love me some Kyle Pitts. With that said, guys, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Drop a rating review. It helps me so much. And I know there's so many of you guys that haven't done it. I know also a lot of you guys tell me you're on Spotify and Spotify doesn't have a place to review. But if you have an Apple product, even if you keep listening on Spotify, if you have an Apple product and you want to go to Apple Podcasts and just leave the review there for me, that would mean the world to me. Thank you guys for tuning in. Hit me up if you want any merch or anything, or for any advice, as always, have a good one, guys. Peace.